Hello, and welcome back to another edition of Inside Diaspora Studios. Today, I'm joined with Daniel Sullivan, and we're going to talk about autism and media in both TV and movies. So this should be a very interesting show. So sit back, relax, and grab your favorite beverage, and I'll see you on the other side. Welcome to another episode of Inside the Asperger Studios. Today, I'm Jan- joined with Daniel Sullivan. Today, we're going to be talking about autism and media. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Not a problem. So let's start off with something simple. Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and we'll get going. Sure. Uh, my name is Danielle Sullivan. I'm the host of the Neurodiverging podcast, and I'm also a certified life coach and parent coach at neurodiverging.com. I work with families um, and adults with neurodivergences, mostly autism, ADHD, but some other scattered things in there too. Um, and I'm real happy to be here today. <laughs> All right. Let's talk a little bit about media and autism. Yeah. Do you think that media, TV and movies are portraying those who have ADHD? ASD correctly. I mean, you see movies like um, the one that um, what's the singer did, mm-hmm. and you know she got back, she got slack for that, and then oh, yeah. all the other movies. Do you think TV such as um, Big Bang Theory? You think mm-hmm. they're portraying those of us on the spectrum in the correct in the correct light? Yeah. So I think this is a really complicated but good question. <laughs> um, On some level, it is excellent that we are getting some representation in media that we weren't getting 10, 20, 30 years ago when the only representation of somebody autistic was the Rain Man character, basically. Um, So it's good to see autistic characters in film and movies just generally. That said, most of these characters aren't informed by real autistic people. They're actors often doing the best they can to research the role, but people, uh, producers, writers who are not actually in contact with a good number of autistic people, real life autistic people like you and me. And so um, they, the characters themselves tend to be really stereotyped, meaning that they only are representing a very narrow number of traits or or kind of quirks of autism. Um, And so you end up with these representations that are just real narrow. And so it's like, it's a step one, right, to get these these folks on TV in front of our eyeballs. But it's definitely the first step and hopefully a long road of getting more complex mm-hmm. uh, characters with autism in front of our in front of our eyes. Um, yeah. Um, do you, sorry. Do you want me to talk more about that or you go on? OK. Um, so when I, I was looking over some of the most common um kind of autistic character portrayals. Like uh, we had been talking earlier about the good doctor and about the big bang theory, which you just said. Um, And I'd forgotten about that one. I'd forgotten the singer's name, but I remember the movie came out and there was all this backlash. Um, And I think one of the things that's really uh, obvious when you start looking at those characters, those autistic characters is that they're most of them white. They're most of them white men, uh, men, sorry. And they're most of them, um, 
various stereotypes in that they either have savantism or very high intelligence or very low intelligence, they're hypersexual or they're hyposexual. There's like not a lot of them in the middle. Um, you also notice things like stims and, and meltdowns being portrayed really stereotypically. Like, yes, some of us, I certainly stim like this, but many autistics don't. Um, many of us melt down and shut down. Some of us don't. Um, I was looking at the good doctor the other day and realizing that his character, as far as I could tell in what I saw, never used like um, is never wearing ear defenders <laughs> or chewing mm -hmm. on anything or like, you know, I, he has a couple of fidgets that he uses in the show. Um, and I think that actor is neurotypical or at least has has, uh, has not come out with with a neurodivergence. Um, but there's a lot of things that like you'd notice if you work with autistic people day to day or you are an autistic person that we we do um, that these characters are not doing. And uh, yeah, a lot of them are skinny. We don't see people of different sizes. Um, they don't show current occurring issues. Um, how we communicate can vary a lot, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Among autistic oh, yeah. people. Yeah. So it's good that they're there to sum up, but they're still very stereotyped, very stereotyped. And it would be greater if we could see a, a broader range of autistic people. Yeah. Now, what do you think <laughs> those of us as advocates can do to help educate the media about ASD? Yeah, this is a good one. So I think, um, I think a lot of us, when we see these portrayals of autistic characters that we're not super happy about, have a reasonable kind of frustration and anger over it because we're right here and you could just ask us. Um, but a lot of folks are doing their best <laughs> to, to portray and just don't have good information or good access or being referred to resources that are not autistic run. Um, so I think that one of the best things we can do is just point it out, right? Write articles, talk to your friends about it, have this podcast episode, right? Where you're just saying, these are things that could be better. You know, here are some things we could be thinking about. Um, and then doing stuff like offering, like I offer consultation services to basically anyone who wants them in the workplace, in media, in whatever, um, to get feedback from an actual autistic person, or I can refer you to other autistic people if you're looking for a person of color who is autistic or a queer person. I'm a, I'm a queer person, but like also other, other queer people who are autistic. Um, so like, you know, ask us, um, but also like writing letters to the editor in newspapers or, um, you know, just posting on Facebook and saying, hey, I don't love this and here's why. And approaching it from kind of a collaborative education way where we're saying, you know, we're not mad at you at the sh as the showrunner because probably you're doing your best, but also here are some things that might be useful to know. Um, and I think that the more we can educate the people around us, um, then they'll share and that will be shared. It goes, it goes, like it goes out into the world um, and it eventually reaches those higher tiers. That's how we've seen representation for gender diversity, for sexual diversity, for uh, race diversity in media over the last 50 years or so. It's been from this kind of education work and this advocacy and just pushing for it, noticing it and telling people about it. So it goes to show that you feel that the writers of both TV and movie need to educate themselves before mm -hmm. they even create a character in who is of are uh, on the spectrum. Absolutely. And I also think that um, so like, yes, I believe a writer should educate themselves before they go and write a script that contains an autistic character, but also 
within the what I understand of the industry, often writers are not given the resources or the time that they would need to go do that research. And so from what I understand as someone who doesn't work in the industry, it does seem to be an issue of um, from the top down. <laughs> but if you can if a writer reads an article that says I'm an autistic and I didn't really love this representation, maybe they'll ask the producer or their director or whatever for more resources to research. And so, um, you know, putting the blame on the people in the writer's room isn't necessarily where, where I would go with that so much as looking at the top, right? Who's funding it? Who's um, kind of the showrunner, right? And how do we get resources to them? Um, but pointing out that these resources exist and referring people to autistic-led organizations like, um, you know, the AANE or um, the Women and Non-Binary Gender Autistics Group and those kinds of ones um, can be a really good start to just because there's plenty of autistics working in media, like who who are script writers and who are showrunners. And so, mm-hmm. like we're there, we we exist. You can ask us. Like a lot of us want to support the effort. So, yeah. Now, you said earlier you had a son or, or a daughter who's on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which means you've probably come across Ses- the, the new Sesame Street character who's on the spectrum. What yes, a your, little bit. <laughs> what, are your, what is your feelings about that? Are they portraying that character in the right mm-hmm. light? Yeah. So it has been really good over the past couple of years to see some autistic characters in children's programs. I think there's one in Daniel Tiger, too. <laughs> I've forgotten their name. But um, so the you know, to go back to our earlier point, the more characters with autism that we have in the media, the more diverse they'll be just by nature. Um, And really what we want is not all characters to be perfect representations of autism, but all characters to be one decent representation of autism that cumulatively create the spectrum, right? Um, So um, with Sesame Street, I like seeing... um, some of the traits like, you know, the restrictive behavior, like uh, different ways we might communicate or different ways we might, um, our different sort of emotional intelligence styles. Um, Mm -hmm. And I like seeing how um, the emphasis is, at least in the Sesame Street episodes I've seen with that character and also in the Daniel Tiger and the other kind of PBS shows that the emphasis is on not this person is different. And so we have to be different, but rather this person is a human. And so, you know, accommodation has to just be part of how we approach this, right? Like how can the same way this person would accommodate us with our needs, we're going to accommodate. And so building in a sort of disability rights perspective from the ground up for the kids watching that I think is really fantastic and just Um, making it more normative to see autistic folks because, you know, 20, 30, 50 years ago, we were all of us put away in institutions and now many of us still are. um, And, you know, that's why we're not, um, that's why neurotypical people don't know as much about autism is because we were kind of cornered and shoved away. And so the fact that like, yes, they're not perfect representations, but the fact that we exist in TV and media is huge in some ways, even though it's very imperfect representations, because at least we're there, like we're starting to kind of encroach and be part of the world and be part of the world that's represented on the screens. So now, do you feel that any show or movie before they even throw somebody on the spectrum in the show or create a character, they should first go and reach out for a consultant who can actually tell them what the character should be like. I really wish people should would. <laughs> um, now, I think because we're in this very early stage of, of seeing autistic characters in on screens that 
it's more important for each character to be a decent representation of autism, of, of some piece of autism. Um, now, when we have, you know, 2% of all the characters on screen are autistic characters. Is it as important that each one is perfect? You know, so I guess I would say that right now, um, each autistic character has more weight to carry in terms of representation, right? If there's only mm -hmm. six of us on screen, that's, you know, that's the cumulative amount of autism on screen. Each of those characters has a lot of work to do. And so it is to the writers and the, the producers best benefit to do the research and create a story around a real autistic character, as opposed to what we think like stereotypes about autism. Um, that said, once we have more characters on screen, will everybody, you know, first of all, I think basic level of knowledge about autism will be higher for the general populace. So there's less weight to carry there. And then if there's, you know, 2000 representations of autism on screen, um, some of them don't have to be great. <laughs> you know, some of them can be it just mm -hmm. just the way we look at like, you know, anybody else on screen, women on screen, right? Black men on screen, like some of them we have better representation than others. And so the ones that are well represented, they don't all have to be perfect. Um, but right now, yeah, I think that autism consultants should be uh, more or less required, you know, the same way. Um, the same way if you're writing a, a piece about a transgender person, um, and I say this as a non-binary person, that you don't want to lean on stereotypes about them. You want to actually evoke their experience. And autism is, is not the same, but in some ways parallel, that you want to really evoke the autistic experience. You don't just want to lean on, you know, stimming and talking differently, you know, <laughs> like it's not, it's not ideal. I mean, I feel, and I'm pretty sure you feel that one of the very first, like you mentioned earlier, one of the very first movies mm -hmm. to talk about autism, but not mention it was Rain Man. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure you feel the same way I do now is that it's, they only show that one little part, which is the savantism. They mm -hmm. never show in the repeatedisms. Yeah. They never showed everything else. Yeah. Now, do you feel that's giving a bad um, perspective on those of us who are on the spectrum? I have so many thoughts about Rain Man. So first of all, from what I understand, the character who inspired Rain Man was, I think, Kim Peek, who was a savant, like a, a real person. And as far as I understand, he wasn't actually autistic. He had other conditions. Mm. But so... A lot that's, I mean, that's kind of the point for me is that there's so little representation of autism on the screen that one of the main people think, pe the main characters people think of as autistic is, wasn't even based on an autistic man. Um, so that just to me shows how much more representation we need that, you know, we have this Dustin Hoffman character who has some traits of autism, but is not based on an actual autistic person, as far as I can tell. Um, and then the issue with savantism is huge because obviously there are autistic savants. There are plenty of us. Um, I'm not included in them. I didn't, don't know why I said us, but there are plenty of autistic savants. There are also plenty of non-autistic mm -hmm. savants. Um, and there are plenty, plenty, plenty of autistic people who don't have savantism. I think it's, it's pretty, from what I understand, pretty small percentage of autistic people, maybe 10%, something like that, who are autistic savants. Um, and so I do think we need to, part of the work we need to do as advocates is to help people decouple savantism from autism, that they don't always go together and often mostly maybe even don't. Um, that character from The Good Doctor, the main character, um, what's his, Sean Murphy, um, mm -hmm. he's also, I believe, a, meant to be a savant. And mm -hmm. um, 
that's also really frustrating because here's a, you know, a skinny white middle-aged guy who's hyper-intelligent and also savant. And like, is there an autistic person that's like that in the world? Sure. Right. But are most autistic people like that? No. Um, and so that is, is kind of a frustrating um, piece. And also um, not to speak for savants, but from what I understand of savantism, it doesn't work the way uh, Dustin Hoffman's character makes it look, and it doesn't work the way Sean Murphy's character makes it look. So you have two bad representations of savantism along with potentially two bad representations of autism um, that are then pulled apart to stereotype all future autistic characters on TV. So yeah, it's really frustrating <laughs> to see <laughs> really complex, awesome people reduced to these specific traits um, that are not um, not correct of even most of the autistic population, much less even in much less all of us. So I hope I answered your question. I got a little off on Rain Man there because no, it's a good fine. movie, but it it doesn't <laughs> it's not a great representation. Yeah. Now, how do you think we can educate the media about the spectrum in the sense that they see that there is that a spectrum from mm -hmm. one level to the other level? I mean, all they know is what they re read, but they don't know the true reality. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of organizations are doing great work trying to kind of um, bring resources to the media because, right, they're not, you know, most uh, showrunners are not going to have time to read 30 books by autistic people, right, as much as we would like them to. Um, so there need to be kind of short uh, educational pieces that we can refer to, which a lot of folks are already trying to make. Um, and the other thing is, like I said before, just the more awareness we can draw to it, um, the, the bigger the, like the media picks up on stuff that's um, exciting and that provokes to some degree, anger and frustration among people, at least the American media wants to provoke frustration. Um, so, you know, writing articles, uh, doing these podcast episodes, just talking about it. Um, and, you know, you can do very small things like just talking in your book, having your book club read a book by an autistic person, right? Um, having um, you all go see movies that autistic people have made or doing uh, screenings in your town, um, going and doing a presentation at the PTA. I have kids, so all my, all my organizations are a little family focused, but going in and doing some kind of small educational work as you are able to um, in some aspect of your community um, means you're reaching the general population, which is all the people involved in media, right? Like we, they live among us. Mm -hmm. um, so general education is a really good way to access this. And then just to know the resources to direct people to like come up with your own short list of, um, you know, and everybody has different ones, but if there are podcasts you like that talk about media and autism, if there are books you like, if there are article you read one time, like download the PDF and, you know, hand it out, do whatever you need to do. Um, but just make it more accessible to people. And, you know, advocacy doesn't have to be big. You don't have to go do this huge TED talk about it, right? Um, but just little things that you're doing in your community and talking about it with your family, talking about it with your kids, talking about it with your great uncle, right? Um, as you are safe to do so, and as you're comfortable doing so, those things can make huge differences. If everybody went and talked to one person about it, it would be like, tomorrow it would be better, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> Now, being on the spectrum yourself, do you view movies that have characters on the spectrum differently than anyone else's would view them? 
Oh gosh, that's a hard one because I have never been a neurotypical person. And so <laughs> to this day, still don't really understand how neurotypical people function. But I will say that um, like anyone, and um, so, you know, I have lots of identities. I'm an autistic person. I'm also a queer person. I'm a parent. I'm a white person. There's, I'm a woman, right? There's lots of different. Mm -hmm. So the same way that like, if you go to the movies and you just see woman character after woman character who is like a nagging harpy, that can start to get really frustrating. It doesn't show the the width and breadth of the woman's experience, right? Um, and I, I suspect it's similar for um, for me as an autistic person that if you go and you see these characters over and over again, some of whom are not even based on real autistic people, as in the Rain Man example, you do start to really get frustrated and worn down and feel like I'm not part of humanity. I'm not part of the in-group, like I'm not on these screens. Um, and I don't think this experience is different to, or it's, it's at least very closely analogous to the experience I've heard described by people of color who don't see themselves on screen, right? Or queer people who don't see themselves on screen. That all of us who make up humanity deserve to see ourselves represented in the art that we make, right? In books and movies and all those kinds of things. Um, and so it would be really, I have never seen an autistic character on screen. There may have been a couple in books, but even then I have never seen one on screen where I was like, Ooh, it's me, <laughs> you know, like, Ooh, I do that too. Um, and I think that's, I think that, is for a lot of reasons, but a large portion of it is how narrow autistic characters are on screen, right? Like I'm not going to ideal or identify with Sheldon from Big Bang Theory, and I'm not going to identify with uh, what's it, Sean Murphy. Um, I certainly didn't identify with the that movie, the autistic woman in the movie that the singer, we can't remember whose name it is. Zia, came out with. Zia, it Zia. thank you. <laughs> Just like completely blank. Yeah, I, I did mean, watch that, it and yeah, I did not was, think it was great. Yeah. yeah I mean, that, that was my next question is what, oh, was okay. your, it, what was your feeling about that? Because I know there was a huge uproar in the industry. I mean, I have a mm -hmm. friend who's really big into autism advocacy on YouTube and he did a whole thing on it and a bunch of people have done a thing on it saying it yeah. was just wrong. And the community just attacked her and said, listen, you need to change your act. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have. I, I don't know that I'm the best person to comment on this, um, but I also I can tell you at least my opinion. And I'm very open to being corrected by people who have done more work in media studies than I have. Um, my reaction was on the most basic level, like, look, a female autistic person, because there's not many of us um, characters that represent mm. women autistics or female autistics. Um, but the actual representation on screen was pretty dire. Like it, it was very, very stereotypical. It didn't, it didn't really represent most of the, um, most of the real people with autism that I know in the world. And, you know, there is a breadth of us. There's a spectrum for a reason. And I'm a coach, so I work with autistic people. So I know quite a number of them at this point in my life where I've met, you know, a, a broad range of autistic people with all sorts of different traits, different health co-occurrences, different, um, you know, um, all sorts of things, basically. Um, but the character in Zia's movie seemed to me to be basically a, a rain man for women <laughs> uh, is the best way I can put it. That it was just a couple of traits that were played to their, their fullest extent that didn't really seem to be based in real autistic people as far as I could understand it. Um, and I do think that that's an example where me, I don't know, maybe Zia was really trying to be an advocate and was really trying to support 
real autistic people. But if she had just had a couple of consultants, they could have intervened real mm-hmm. early and said, could we, could we create more depth to this character? Could we, could we pull in some real versions of autism? And so, you know, she's young. She's not like, I don't know a ton about her. I'm, I'm as an older autistic person, a little bit willing to give her the benefit of the doubt, but it is also true that when you have a huge following like that and you put something out of that huge following, you have the responsibility to make sure it's as representative of reality as possible. And I, I think she deserves some criticism for that. Although I hope that she will be able to take it for what it's worth and move forward and, and do better in the future. Yeah. Now, why do you think TV shows only show one side of the autism spectrum? Why don't they show the whole spectrum in general? I think they just don't know a lot about autism. Maybe this is really reductive, but my feeling is like, if you ask, I, so I work with autistic um adults often, but I also work with both neurotypical and neurodivergent parents who have autistic or ADHD kiddos and are trying to sort of are in the process of really learning what it means to have an autistic kid and how to support them best. Um, And a lot of these parents are highly educated, you know, graduate level degrees, um, very willing to learn and want to do their best for their kids. But their understanding of autism is just you know, from 30 years ago, like it's, it's really basic. It's based in bad research that's since been disproven. Um, It's, it's based in maybe having seen an interview with Temple Grandin one time, you know, it's, and it's Mm -hmm. like, it's just not robust. It's not well-rounded. And so when folks, my, my assumption is that a lot of the people who are writing these autistic characters are similar in that they may be really good people doing their best and they may be highly intelligent, but they just don't have any background with it. And for whatever reason, whether it's scheduling or lack of interest or lack of support, they are not doing the research and and meeting real autistic people. Um, And so what comes out of that is just the most stereotyped, most basic, most shallow version of the autistic that we could possibly get. And that's why a lot of these characters kind of look the same. <laughs> like if you compare their their traits and their tendencies, um, uh, you know, there's a lot that's similar, like the, the communication style being really one note, um, low emotional intelligence, um, different, either hypo or hyper sexuality, like in terms of how they, you know, um, lead into sex or romance with other, with partners. Um, Often they're either really high intelligence or savant or really low intelligence. Um, Whereas in reality, autistic people are are very quote unquote normal intelligence, just like neurotypical people. Our our intelligence range is the same as neurotypical. There are people on the lower end, people on the higher end. Um, So the fact that there's all these ways that they could create depth in an autistic character and they don't just makes me think that it's folks just not just not having the education, not having the resources. Um, so, and not having done the background work for whatever reason, even if they're well-meaning. Yeah. All right. Have you caught the show Love on the Spectrum? I I tried. I have a lot of trouble with reality shows. I have that secondhand embarrassment squick, but uh, I, I have heard many things about it. I've heard good things overall from the autistic uh, communities that I'm part of. So... <laughs> All right. I tried to watch it and I don't know if it's me, but mm. it looks like some of the people are on the spectrum and some of them almost are probably one of them. I think the U.S. version, there's one who I feel is got downs and on mm-hmm. the spectrum. Yeah, maybe. And I my coach, my life coach actually knew the I guess the directors. Oh, wow. 
And she says, if there's somebody who wants to be on the show, let me know. And I said, I do. I would love to like talk, have an interview with them. So they interviewed me. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. I think I was just not, I was too normal. <laughs> and I think they wanted someone who was more, you know, on the lower end, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So. And that might be part of what's going on too, right? Is that... um I think when you're writing characters to fit a niche in your show or even trying to pull in real people, you have this idea in your head of this is the character I want. And even if that's not most autistic people, right? Like if you're excluded, even though you're autistic because you're not exactly what they're looking for, right? Then that limits representation Mm -hmm. on the show as well. So there's all these kind of financial forces and corporate forces and capitalism, you know, So let's change the subject a little and sure. talk a little bit about you. Okay. You said, I read your bio and you said you like mythology. Do yes, you like I Greek do. or Norris? Both. <laughs> I did um, my undergrad uh, with classical mythology. So I'm a little bit stronger in that subject, but I have, I've read quite a bit of Norse mythology over the years. So I actually have a master's degree in religious studies, which is uh, not, um, theology, but is rather how people use religion. So it's definitely an area that I geek out in a lot. <laughs> All right. What does it mean? What does it mean to you to be diagnosed late in life with your autism? Has, was it like a light flipping, like someone flipped a switch and all of a sudden things mm-hmm. started to make sense to you? Yeah, honestly. Yeah. And I have a couple of podcast episodes on this actually, but so I was really short. Um, I was diagnosed after my eldest son was diagnosed. Uh, he was two and a half. So I was, uh, 34 ish and, um, I had had just ongoing problems throughout my life, fitting in, feeling like I understood people feeling like I, you know, understood what was expected of me. Um, and when he got the autism diagnosis, I was like, I was doing all the research, like reading all the books and doing all the things and talking to people. And it started to be like, Oh, (laughs) you know, all these traits that these other autistic people have are ones that I have. And then, you know, I was, um, diagnosed and it was like, Oh, um, and it having now, been in the community for a good while and talked to so many other autistic people. Like there is something about that in-group where you just get each other. You've had similar experiences. You think the same way. Sometimes you speak the same way. You both quote the random movies that you like at each other and get really excited about it. Um, so it was in some ways like a light bulb. Like it's like suddenly being able to speak the language in a place you've never been able to speak the language before. So, Yeah. <laughs> so what is it like raising two kids who are both neurodivergent? I mean, you must, they must have their similarities and their opposites and things. It must be difficult. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I've, again, I've never raised other kids. Um, I had a lot of trouble when I had my first child because I think I underestimated just how, how structured my life had been because I wasn't diagnosed yet. I didn't realize how much I liked things the way I liked them. And then you have a baby and it's, we were talking about your puppy earlier. It's like Mm -hmm. that. It's like, suddenly you have to do what the puppy wants and you have to feed them when they want to be fed and you have to take them out when they need to be taken out. Um, And babies are just like that. And you can't do what all the systems that I had created to cope and to support myself were just like torn asunder. Um, So that was really challenging for me. And then I would say the first couple of years, we had a couple of medical challenges. We had behavioral issues because I just didn't know how to 
how to work with um, those neurotypes yet. Now we're pretty smooth. Now we've kind of got a system down, but a lot of it is um, one of the things I talk about a lot on my podcast and with my clients is collaborative parenting and just working with people democratically, no power, power exchange, just like the kids are going to talk to me like I'm, you know, a, a partner in their support and I'm going to ask for help from them if I need help. And that allows us to really get a lot of accommodations from each other um, and to trust that we're on each other's side and we're going to support each other as best we can. And that means that if, as a parent, if I need a timeout or if I need to go lay down or if I, and they're, you know, they're seven and nine now, so there's a little bit more wiggle room than when they were two. Um, but if I need something to not lose my mind and have a meltdown, then I can ask for it and know that I won't be judged for it. And they have the same, obviously the same opportunity that mm -hmm. um, if they need help, they just ask for help and I'm not going to judge them and I'm not going to like make fun of them and I'm not going to criticize them. We're just going to fix it. Right. Um, so that's been huge in, in making um, in this, in making this parenting endeavor so successful as it is now, but yeah, it was hard for quite a couple of years. It was really challenging. Yeah. yeah, take it. I mean, I'm guessing that they both have like their quiet zones where like us being on the spectrum know that when we feel about that verge of burning out, we need to go someplace yeah. quiet. Yep. Yep. And I take yeah. it you kids have that like, mom, I'm going to go to this to my quiet area to cool mm -hmm. down before I melt down. We are very lucky to have enough space in our house that they each have their own rooms, which is kind of ludicrous to me because it was certainly not something that I had accessible to me when I was a kid. Um, but they each have their own room and they each have their own sort of setup in their rooms to have it be calm space. Um, we also have like the way our house is set up, there's lots of stairs and so they can um, you know, go to a different floor actively if there's a noise or something is, is actively um, irritating. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, our house is really a very, <laughs> as much as I would sometimes like to have like this beautiful house that, you know, I can invite my everybody to. And um, it's really a kid friendly house because we have their rooms that are set up for their um kind of comfort and quiet space. And then in the basement, we have uh, my co-parents office, but also in there is like a swing and a climbing wall and jumping stuff. And oh. so if they have um, a lot of energy they need to burn, or if they're feeling very um, like uh, hyper aroused uh, physically, and they really need to calm down, like they'll just sit and swing. My daughter will sit and swing for, you know, hours some days if she's had a really, really rough time. Um, so we've been very, we've tried to be really flexible about accommodating and supporting as best we can with the space we have. Yeah. So. Now, how do you handle your overstimulations? Yeah. That's one of the things I was noticing in all these media representations is nobody had, did I say this already? Nobody had ear defenders and nobody yeah. had sunglasses and even gloves. Like one of, one of my kids doesn't like to touch certain kinds of metal. And so they'll wear gloves and we've replaced many things with plastic. Um, so, you know, I have a lot of sort of sensory supports in terms of, um, you know, lighting that doesn't make my eyes hurt or my head hurt. Um, I have like three different sets of ear defenders and earplugs, depending on how much I need to be able to hear through them. Um, or if I can just totally, because it's not really safe to totally black out when, when my kids are home, obviously. But I have some vibes and some loops and things that let some sound through, but not all of it. Um I have my calm space in my office and my room. Um, I take specifically like scheduled breaks every day where, 
like, don't talk to me. The co-parent is on duty and I am off duty. So I can kind of recollect. Um, I set up, you know, I, I'm much more flexible than I used to be, but I'm still for a, a in the range of flexibility, pretty inflexible in that I like to take my nap at a certain time. I like to have my walks. I make sure I eat. Like it's a lot of kind of ritualized stuff of how can I make sure I'm doing the basic things I need that I'll have the energy I need to regulate. Um, Cause if I stop eating or if I don't get enough exercise or if I, you know, I'll forget to drink water and then be useless all day. Like I still forget really basic things if I don't have systems to support. So that's, you know, that's a lot of it is just figuring out what I needed over the last 10 years and uh, putting it on a calendar, putting it on a phone timer, you know, making people remind me whatever it is I need. Yeah. Now, have you come across anyone who's been negative towards the term Asperger's because yes. of its connotation from the history? Mm-hmm. I know I have, and it's gotten heated to yeah. where people have told me I need to change my podcast name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have really mixed feelings about it. Because on the one hand, I absolutely don't like the name. And I agree with all the folks who are like, this is named after a terrible person who should not be given any credit and his name shall not be said. Um, on the other hand, it is a huge uh, identifier for you know, potentially thousands, million, I don't know how many number of folks who were given that label and who use that label to form really close knit communities and to understand themselves often for the first time in their lives. And, you know, it's not, um, it doesn't seem to me, especially fair to ask those folks to just drop it immediately. Um, I also think for me, whenever something like this comes up, my point is, or the, the thing that goes to the root for me is what is, um, what is the purpose of how we name things? Like, why do we name things the way we do? And what is the goal of that? Um, and also how do we get education to people who need it? Um, because as an educator, mm-hmm. as that's part of my, my whole thing, um, how do we get education? And so, you know, when we look at how, um, how folks of a, it's usually folks of a certain generation and higher who have been given the Asperger's designation over the autism designation, right? Because of when it changed in the, in the rule book, in the DSM. Um, So when we look at those folks and they're looking for information on, you know, how to support their sensory needs, how to support themselves in relationships with uh, parents, kids, or romantic partners, they're Googling Asperger's thing. Right. And so, um, for me, it's about, well, how can I help those folks get the information they need to find the ways to support them individually, right? Um, because I think you just need to be really careful in saying, well, this term is now, um, I don't like this term and I don't personally use it, but I also think that each individual person gets to decide how they identify. And it's not my job or anybody else's job to take your identification away from you. Um, and it's definitely not my goal in life to take that away. And so I just try to be really careful in honoring people's choices, but also just, you know, trying to sort of gently move us in the direction away from, you know, Nazi horrible things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it is very complicated and I don't think there's an easy answer. It would be very nice if if there was, yeah. Right. And finally, we're going to try something new. <laughs> okay. We're going to do a speed round. I'll say, I'll give you two choices and you list and say whatever comes to your head. Okay. You ready? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Coffee or tea? Coffee. Um, breakfast or lunch? Breakfast always. Bagels or waffles? 
bagels. Um, <laughs> chocolate chips are regular. What's regular? Vanilla wafers. Chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> strawberry, strawberry or vanilla ice cream. Okay, if it's real strawberries, real strawberry ice cream. But if it's not vanilla. <laughs> All right. Stay at home vacation or go away vacation? Stay at home, please. I just want to be in my house. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, wine or an alcoholic beverage other than wine, like beer. Stout. Yeah. Give me a stout. <laughs> England or Paris? England. Um... Dark or light? Dark. And that is it. <laughs> that is fun. That Thank was you. It, everybody. And that was Daniel Sullivan. And that was Autism and Media. See you in the next one. How I miss the way things used to be. I'm no big fan of now I must have some sweeter memories Somewhere in the cloud Welcome to the new normal Welcome to the new normal Welcome to the new normal Shout Welcome to the new normal Gonna miss all you used to be Gonna miss all you had Consigned to the dustbins of history Like opinions from your dead Talk to the freaks. You can talk to just about anybody you happen to meet. It ain't what it was, and it is what it is.